0: The Knott Family Mystery. Christmas Eve 2020, a family vanishes in the middle of the night. The front door left wide open, both cars in the driveway, the table set for dinner. The only clue left behind, a note saying they're acting of their own free will. Where did the Knott Family go and why? I'm Dawn Christensen, and you're listening to the Knot Family Mystery Podcast about the unsolved disappearance of Ray and Carla Knot and their six children.
1: Is the coast clear? Great. Welcome to the secret version of Untying the Knot's. When you first
2: consider changing your family configuration, whether it be divorce, legitimation, a custody action, and whether you thought about it on your own or your spouse has raised the issue, your brain gets filled with an extraordinary amount of questions and an extraordinary amount of emotions. I'm Dawn. And I'm Kristen. And we're going to be answering all of your family law questions
1: in hopes that it will help alleviate some of the unknowns you're wondering about. Welcome to Untying the Knots.
2: Between the two of us, we have 45 years of legal experience. We've been involved in over a thousand cases, including our own. We've handled all types of issues
1: involving families, including same-sex marriages, divorces, custody modifications, and child support. We've had clients who've been married and divorced to each other multiple times, and we've helped people who have been together for as little as two weeks, and those who've been together for over 30 years. Our hope is that you use this podcast like a search engine by scanning through our show notes for the main Untying the Knots podcast or on the podcast tab of our website to see a list of every question that we answer. We will give you the exact time on which episode to look for in both the main version of the podcast and the secret version.
2: Should I be the first to file for divorce? That depends. <laughs> That's the lawyer answer, but it's true. It just really depends. What do you think it depends on, Dawn? I think it depends on a lot of things. I think that strategically, if you are worried about the other party moving money around, dissipating marital assets, getting really secretive and you don't trust them, I think getting to the courthouse fast. Right. So you can get what's called a domestic relations standing order in place, which is an order that goes into place in all domestic cases that limits spending and actions except as to the regular course of marital business. Right. Um if that's going on, I think you should file. Yeah, I definitely
1: agree with that. I think if there are issues in your marriage such as adultery and that's the cause of the divorce and you intend to use that issue as a rationale for requesting certain things in the divorce such as alimony or not allowing alimony then you want to file sooner rather than later when that issue comes up so that it's very clear to the court that this is a serious issue to you and something that was the cause for the
2: divorce Otherwise, it looks like you're condoning the adultery. Right. Right? If you wait and don't do anything on it and sleep in the same marital bed. Right. So then it's hard to say
1: later that this really was a huge issue. The same thing with custody issues. Right? If there are huge custody issues, for example, if one parent has recently driven in the car with the children after drinking too much and perhaps got a DUI, and I I say these examples because they are real things that happen... You may consider the timing for which you file, because that's a serious issue. Is that something that you really care about? And what the court looks at, as we've talked about, is evidence and timing and
2: reasonableness. So consider that. Yeah, and and on this custody issue, if there is a behavior that you're going to complain of that relates to parenting, and you sit on the behavior and don't act, that can be used against you, definitely. Then we get all those other things to the side. You know, there's no adultery. We're not worried about right. dissipation. Just a of, regular situation of assets. There aren't any custody issues here. Should I be the first to file? Well, you know, procedurally, let us explain it to you. Like, if you're the plaintiff, meaning you're the first person person to file. Then, when and if you go to trial, you get to give the opening statement first, and you get to be the last person that speaks in closing argument. So, you get to be first and last. We lawyers, obviously, we love to talk. That makes us very happy. Right. Right. However, you know, that's not the be all to end all. 95% of the cases don't go to trial. So, deciding whether or not to be the first to file based on what may happen at trial, unless you're 100% sure you're going to trial. Uh, Right. It probably doesn't practically matter
1: that much. That's a question to talk with your attorney about when you interview them and are deciding who to pick. But outside of those few examples we gave, I don't know that it makes procedurally too much of a difference.
2: I will give a couple other thoughts. Yeah. One is if, if you're in this and you want this process to be over with, then you got to get it started. That's true. Right? That's true. So if you're in a rush and you want it over with, then be the first to file because you got to get it started. Secondly, some people don't want a divorce right right they are um for many various reasons they object to divorces and so therefore they don't want to be the one to file they want the other person to file against them and that's a legitimate position we, sure. we have clients do that all day long so you know there are a couple of strategic advantages to filing first but overall talk to your lawyer <laughs>
1: I'm ready to file for divorce, but what do I need to know about our finances?
2: So this is an area that you can do a lot of important busy work to get ready, even before you choose and meet with a lawyer, because the more information you have, the more um, information you're going to get from the professionals you meet with and Mm -hmm. a strategy. They're going to help you develop a strategy. So... Become a financial detective.
0: What does that (laughs) mean?
2: Gather tax returns. Get bank, brokerage, and retirement statements. Go online. Go ahead and download them. If you've got them in paper files, in the office, in your home, make copies of that. I actually had a client who came in here with a tub. tub I remember. (laughs) A tub for Christmas ornaments and for one year she had i'm not saying guys you need to do this i just i'm not saying you but need it to happens. do this it, but it was a 35 year marriage and for one year she had been copying all of the financial things they had in the house so that we then knew right what everything was because right. this was a very high asset divorce right. so gather those things um, before make copies of them
1: gather mortgage and other debt information. Gather your credit card statements. I just want to say here for a moment that everyone in relationships does not have the same working knowledge of the finances in the home. And that it may require the person who does not have access to, you know, sneak around and put their stuff in a tub. Or I have had clients who've, made copies of things where their spouse was out or for the first time tried to have access or get the password to an account. It may feel uncomfortable, but the reason that it's important to have this information is that it makes the divorce process more efficient and gives you working knowledge of what's going on. So that was just a little blurb in the middle, but there's more things that you need to know.
2: Yeah. And, and I do want to say that if you are the person that has never had access to the financial information in the family, and we have those cases, probably yeah. a quarter of our cases where people come in and they there's been a wall built and they just don't. Don't worry. Right. There are mechanisms and vehicles that we can use to get that information. The, the But the more that we know up front, the more we can develop a strategy and give you a sense of what are reasonable expectations. That that just adds a couple extra steps, but we can right. handle it. Um, Make a list of any assets and liabilities you have. And and to give you a little context, everybody, the reason we do this is because one of the roles of the court is divide. It's called equitable division mm-hmm. to divide all marital assets and debts. So in order to do that, we got to know what, what are all the they? assets and debts are <laughs> right. and what was acquired during the marriage and what was pre-marriage. So that's what you're doing in gathering this information. Um, alimony and child support are based on income. Right. Right. Need versus ability to pay for alimony. And then for child support, it's really an income based model. Right. So making a list of sources of income during the marriage. Um, you know, what have you earned? What has she earned? Um, what were the the historical earnings in the family? So make a list of those. Right.
1: And speaking of income, you need to think about what your budget is and writing out what what your expenses are, having a working knowledge of that. And many times for clients, I ask them to really consider what their budget is currently and what they anticipate their budget being once they're living separately from their spouse or partner. You may also then need to set up your own checking account or credit card so that you have a little little nest egg or a little <laughs> way to, to access funds, depending on how the divorce process works. Um, if you only have joint accounts,
2: that's something to consider. Yeah. You also want to gather any, if there's a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement, you want to make sure you have that on hand, you know, for some of the more highly compensated executives, you want to get any employment agreements or deferred compensation documents or incentive compensation documents, information on restricted stock units. If you don't know what any of that means, and there may be some out there, that's fine. We will get it. Right. Again, the more you can gather up front, the more efficient the process will be.
1: If you have any art or memorabilia in your home, gather documents related to that.
2: Gather copies of your insurance policy so that you can bring them to your lawyer. Yeah. And the other thing that you can do as part of the process, you can begin this, is if um, once you are divorced, you are, if you are covered by your spouse's health insurance, you um, Health insurance policies don't allow them to continue to cover you except through something called COBRA, which is continuation of coverage. But that is limited in time. So you need to begin shopping so that you can get a sense of what that cost will be. And which, again, goes back to the budget that Kristen talked about. It is so frequently people get paralyzed because they're scared to death that they're not going to have enough money going forward in the future. So what you need to do is stare into the abyss and figure <laughs> out, well, how much do I need to go forward? And one of those is going to be maintaining your own health insurance coverage, right. you know, maintaining your own auto insurance. So go ahead and do some exploration. You mm-hmm. know, for those of you that are planners and thinkers and anticipators, these are things you can do while you're making the decision about going ahead.
1: How will my prenup impact the divorce process?
2: Don, what would you say? Well, let me first start by explaining what a prenuptial agreement is. Yeah, that would be good to know. So a prenuptial agreement is an agreement, a contract that you enter into with your prospective spouse about in the event of a divorce, how you're going to handle assets um, and debts and income and things like that. So it is a contract. Um, what's really important in that contract is that everybody have an ability to understand it. Everybody have an ability to consult with a lawyer. And most importantly, that there be a full disclosure with particularity of all assets and debts. And a prenup can control everything from how are we going to treat any property um, and that's both real property and assets that we acquire during the marriage. Are they going to be considered marital property, which is subject to division by a divorce court, or are they going to be the separate property of whoever's money earned it? Right. Um, how are we going to handle retirement that's earned during the marriage? How are we going to handle alimony? We see a variety of things. No alimony if we divorce. Or if we're married for 20 years, we're going to have alimony of X thousands of dollars for this number of years. Um, so it can anticipate and contractually obligate you to certain aspects of what a court would otherwise decide. So, Kristen, haven't defined the prenup. Um, mm-hmm. How does that impact the divorce process?
1: Ideally, when you have a prenuptial agreement, that contract will be used within the divorce itself to streamline the process. The prenup should have written out how you all would like your assets and/or debts to be divided in the event of a divorce. Because remember, you're creating this postnup with the intention that it will be used if a divorce happens. So, Ideally, you will use it in a divorce process to say we're following what we agreed to before we were married in this contract. Now, an issue can arise where one party wants to contest that agreement and say, for X, Y, Z reasons, this agreement should not be used and we should only go by what the law says as equitable division. Dawn mentioned in your explanation of what a prenup is One very important thing is having a disclosure of all of the assets and debts with particularity. So when you're preparing a prenup and or if you're looking at the prenup that you have, it is very important that there is what we call a full disclosure. And typically there's a disclosure document where each of you all have signed and or initialed saying that you have looked at and seen that full list of what each of you all came into the marriage with. So that everybody's on the same page about what exists. If that was not done, there could be a serious problem as to its enforceability in the divorce process.
2: But there would, and the other reasons, if there was actual fraud or some type of mistake. but. Generally, you're looking at a contract, and the rules of contract enforcement apply. Um, A couple of exceptions. Mm -hmm. um, Prenup agreements do not handle custody issues or child support. You cannot contract ahead of time for how the kids are going to be cared for or how custody will be divided and what child support will be, with the theory being... That that is something the court looks to at that moment to determine what's in the best interest of the children and what the children's needs are. Perfect. And I
1: only want to add one thing is that everything that we've said about a prenuptial agreement is also true for what's called a postnuptial agreement, which is essentially the same thing,
2: except it's contracted um, after you are married. Yeah, and frequently will happen once you come back together and you decide to reconcile, but you want to do it saying, okay, we're going to give it our best shot, and here's how we want to divide it if it doesn't work and right. here's a full disclosure of assets and debts. What are the chances my case will be
0: settled?
1: Well, it depends.
0: There's that <laughs> lawyer answer again.
1: It depends on a lot of things. What, what I tell clients is that, and, and similar to what you'll hear is our theme, I think it's wonderful and the best avenue when families can settle their cases and create solutions for themselves through the the mediation process or negotiation. It doesn't always happen because sometimes there's just situations where it cannot happen. But as far as the chances, I think your chances are greatly increased for settlement when you have really done some work on yourself and come in with a reasonable mindset and a realistic mindset of what's possible and what you want your life to look like post-divorce and what things you're asking for in the divorce. If you have a reasonable mindset, then you may be more inclined to then pick a reasonable lawyer with a reasonable mindset because that lawyer is going to drive much of what happens in your case. Um, How prepared are you to settle? That means there's preparation that's emotional, financial, practically speaking I think it just it depends on a lot of those things
2: what yeah. do you think I think I think you're right I think that um, as an initial matter do you have all the information you need right you know if you are talking about dividing up a life together that includes sometimes dividing up time with children, and more frequently includes dividing up assets and debts, then you've got to have a true picture of the family's financial universe. Right. And sometimes that takes time to get. Sometimes right. you have to do what well, a process that we call discovery, where you ask from each other for information about finances. Sometimes you ask from third parties like banks or mortgage brokers or retirement funds for information about those type of assets. So um, – can this case settle? Well, if you've got all the information and everybody agrees that we have a complete financial picture, then you're well on the way of being able to talk about settlement. Right. But something that that Kristen alluded to is, you know, you're one part of this equation. Correct. So your part is figuring out what is a reasonable request. The other part that you can't control is do I have a reasonable opposing party?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> And do I have a reasonable opposing counsel, right? We can, on our side of the equation, can be reasonable all day long. But if the other side is being told they can get pie in the sky and a lawyer says, we're going to fight this till the bitter end, you can't squeeze blood out of that turnip. You cannot.
1: And you have to then respond to what you're given. I tell clients often when they ask me, why can't we just, why can't this be over? Why can't we go ahead and settle? Unfortunately, you cannot make someone do what you want them to do or make them participate in this process the way that you want them to participate. It's my hope that people will be able to wrap their head around what's in the best interest of the family and kids. But
2: again, you can only control yourself. The last thing I will talk about about settlement is um, timing. It's my experience is that uh, with marriages, some people are further along in thinking about divorce than others, okay? So you're the person that wants the, the marriage to be dissolved. You've been thinking about it for a long time. You've talked to people. Maybe you've talked to a therapist about it. By the time you file that divorce petition, you want it to be over, right? right? The other side may be what we see frequently. This is to them coming out of left field. Yep. They're not ready for it. They got to wrap their head around it. You've got to respect that sometimes they need a bit of the process to happen before they can come to a place where they can talk settlement.
1: Yep. So it really emotionally ready.
2: Yeah. It depends where both are emotionally. What is mediation?
1: Mediation is a process where there is a neutral third party that helps to facilitate a settlement between both parties. Typically, the way that we're experiencing mediation as lawyers is that, for example, I represent my client. The court will often require parties to attend mediation to at least attempt to work through some of their issues before having to have a judge make the decision on those issues. So what that looks like is you and your attorney are are together the opposing party and their attorney are together and typically you're in separate rooms or separate virtual rooms in this new Zoom world that we're in and a mediator who is a completely neutral party having known nothing about your case before they arrive that day are going between the two rooms and parties trying to help them facilitate and come up with an agreement and compromise on dissolving the issues in their marriage so that they don't have to go to court. I mean, Don and I, we both serve as mediators, and I'll say from, from personal and professional experience, it's such a great opportunity to craft an agreement that makes sense for your family. Nobody knows your family and your circumstances better than yourself and the opposing party, whether you all agree on everything or not, and obviously you don't agree because on everything because you're in a divorce process, but the compromises that you all are willing to make will really inform whether you're able to settle or not during that mediation. And regardless, I think whatever the two of you all can compromise on is likely going to be be more specific and nuanced for your family than what a judge could craft after only hearing about your life for an hour
2: or, or a couple of hours in trial. Yeah. Let me And let me give you a couple of examples what we mean about you crafting your resolution in a way yeah. that's better than a court doing it. You know, judges have hundreds of cases, guys. They have so many cases and very little time. So if you have to go to court and the judge hears your case, then more likely than not, they're not going to get the nuances. They're not going to take the time to get the nuances. And for instance, with custody, there may be some rubber stamping of schedules that the judge is really used to versus kind of crafting it for the needs of your family. Right, Like, maybe John goes to summer camp four weeks sleep away every year. And y'all don't want that to count for your vacation, right? Right. Um, Then, It's your opportunity to say, okay, well, mom gets to choose her vacation first in this year and dad in this year, and we're not going to count against our vacation, those camp weeks that's your opportunity to do that. Or Definitely. maybe John goes to see want paternal grandparents and that doesn't need to be counted against them. Um, similarly, maybe somebody wants to stay in the house until the children graduate from high school. And then maybe you agree to sell the house. Sometimes don't count on the judge giving that the time and the attention that you might think it deserves um, in crafting a resolution. Um, how do you know who to use as a mediator? I have pretty strong opinions on this. I think that what you don't need is somebody who's going to just serve as secretary of state and shuttle um, (laughs) offers back and forth with no input. I think a mediator that has experience, knows family law, and can do some real reality checking on both sides about I don't know how reasonable the court will see that. I don't know that that's a reasonable request. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about how this will impact the children? I think it's really important to have a strong, experienced mediator who will weigh in. Absolutely. Because if you all could have come
1: up with an agreement on your own, you likely wouldn't be in this process. And so you want a mediator who can push, but also be compassionate and hear you, but also push each side towards making some real compromises. It's my experience. And I tell clients, you will likely not be 100% happy when you walk out of mediation. But the goal is to come up with an agreement that you can live with, that your family can adjust to, which, look, it's a transition. It's hard. But It's so much better when you have some say in
2: it yourself. I tell people all the time, if both parties aren't completely happy at the end of mediation, then as a mediator, I did my job. Right. Because compromise means not everybody gets everything that they want. Um, Lastly, mediation can be done at any time. And it can be be done as many times as you want to. Definitely. It can be done before you file the case, at the beginning of the case, in the middle of the case, right up to right before trial. So don't ever give up. This podcast will be updated every few months to reflect any development in the law and any additional questions you might have. If there's a question you haven't heard answered, email us at info at and we'll add it to one of our updates.
1: Please share this podcast with any of your friends or family who have family law related questions. If you are in the state of Georgia and would like to reach out to our offices, please call us at 404-909-8300 or email us at info at smithfileslaw.com.
0: The content on Untying the Knots does not constitute legal advice or the practice of law by Kristen Files, Don Smith or Smith & Files, LLC. Listening to the podcast does not form an attorney-client relationship between you and the podcasters. All listeners should consult with a qualified legal professional regarding their individual questions, needs or issues that may be of concern. We are not responsible for any action taken by a reader based upon any information on this site. All of the content on the podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. Don Smith and Kristen Files are licensed to practice law in Georgia.